Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 I am um, glad to be here. Um, Matt, Pastor Matt Boyd and I met um, a few years back. We first came up here to plant. Um, and so we haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time together, um, but I consider him a friend. And so when he um, called and um, asked if I would come to stand in his stead, I was more than elated to do so. And so it's good to be with you all. Um, since um, the scripture was already read, I won't read it again. Um, but let me say this. Um, how many of you have ever played pickup basketball? All right. okay. So when you play pickup basketball, when I used to play pickup basketball, you would have, let's say, you shoot for captains, have two people, um, first one to make the shot, they're the captain. So you have about 12 people total, and so we're playing five on five. So when you are a captain, you get a chance to pick your players. So you choose the best players that are available. Um, you never wanted to be the one that was chosen last because that meant that you weren't as good. And so, um, so you always wanted to be one of the ones that was actually chosen um, first um, to be, because that considered you, they considered you to be one of the good players. Um, so I want to talk from this thing say chosen by the Father. Chosen by the Father. So the first chapter of Ephesians contains two main passages. Um, the first describes the blessings Christians um, have been given as a result of our salvation through Christ. Paul explains these through praises directed to God the Father. The second section um, both commends the Ephesians for their reputation and praise that Christ would bring them into an even fuller and more aware faith. So in verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this letter begins by distinguishing its author and audience. Its first word, Paul, clearly identifies the writer as the apostle who lived among the Ephesian believers to a, uh, for a significant amount of time. So Paul is not new to the Ephesians. He had a relationship with them. Um, the Ephesians knew Paul very well and required little introduction. Instead, he simply referenced himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Both the specific name Christ Jesus and God's will are important themes throughout the book or throughout this particular letter. Christ Jesus is used 11 times in this book. Paul heavily favored this title for Jesus with the title being used only once outside of Paul's writings by Luke in Acts chapter 24, verse 24, who was also a close associate of Paul. Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus, though some early manuscripts omit in Ephesus, as a result, many believe this letter was intended uh, for more than one church. So it wasn't just for the one particular church. They believe that it was for all the surrounding churches, um, the message that Paul was, was, uh, was writing. Paul probably intended this letter to be shared and read among other churches in the area. These believers are called faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul starts his letter with an affirming positive note for this, for this church that certainly included many of Paul's personal friends. So then Paul continues his greeting in verse 2 by saying, Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse simply concludes the introduction and consists of a brief greeting to Paul's readers. So this grace to you greeting is found in the opening of all of Paul's letters, except for the pastoral epistles, uh, which are 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. The phrase, peace from God, our Father, is also familiar, found in the introduction of nine of Paul's letters. Peace is mentioned more than 90 times in the New Testament, yet only 12 times as peace from God. Paul focused his reading on peace and being from the Lord, a word he would mention seven other times in this brief letter. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Ephesians 2, uh, 15 and 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Ephesians 6, 15, and also Ephesians uh, 6, 23. Those are the other places where he mentioned this. So the title of the Lord Jesus Christ is not found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, nor in John's writings. However, it is commonly used in Acts, Paul's writings, and is mentioned in James chapter 1 and 2 Peter and Jude. Reasons for this pattern are uncertain, especially since early manuscripts often write the name of Jesus as a symbol rather than in letter format. However, it is clear Paul desired to note both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ together as equals in his opening greeting to his friends. Now we'll start get to get, get into the meat and potatoes of this passage, uh, which is here in verse 3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So verse 3 begins the first major section of Paul's letter, extending through verse 14. Paul opens with praise be, or in other translations it says, blessed be, in order to establish a clear emphasis on God. In the next few verses, Paul will address some pretty heavy theological subjects, such as predestination, adoption, God's will, grace, redemption, and God's glory. All things connected to God himself and worthy of blessing. After blessing the Father and Son, Paul notes God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this all-encompassing statement indicates that every blessing we would possibly need has been given to us in Christ. So everything that you can possibly need to live the life that God has called us to live, we've been equipped with every blessing. Amen. There's nothing that we're lacking. You know, sometimes we feel like we're lacking certain things. But the scripture clearly teaches us here that we have every single thing that we need in order to live the life that God has called us to live, to, be a, to bless him. And also not only to bless him, but also to be a blessing to one another. Amen. Amen. After blessing us. So, so again, notice how praised or blessed, blessed and blessing are all in the same verse. So are these three uh, the exact same words? So we see the word blessed multiple times here. So I'll read verse 3 again. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was, so that you see blessed the first time at the beginning of the sentence, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, second time, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. So we see blessed or blessing three times in verse 3. So, are these three words for blessing, are they all the same word? 
Is Paul emphasizing the same thing? No, not quite. They are all based on the same Greek word, eulogeo, um, and then eulogeo is made up of parts, word parts, you, which means well, good, and logos, logos, which means word. Basically, it means to say good words. The act of speaking is favorable terms, which is praise. It's the word from which we get our English word, eulogy. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, eulogeo takes the form of three different parts of speech. Paul used the adjective, verb, and noun for blessing, all in one verse. So then the Greek word eulogetos is the adjective. Then there's eulogesos, which is the verb, which is the action or behavior. Then there's eulogia, again, and which is the noun. So eulogetos is the adjective and means praiseworthy and is only used for God. So God is the only one that is praiseworthy. Amen. So we can't Amen. use that word in reference to other people because God is the only one that's worthy of praise. Right. Amen. Amen. Praise. So then eulogesos, again, is the verb. Therefore, he blesses by intervening, which is the action here. So God takes an action and he intervenes here. In Acts chapter 3, verse 26, God sent his son to bless us, wow. to intervene in our lives with what he planned for us to do. Here's what we can't miss. This verse is not future tense, but past tense. Blessed here is past tense, which speaks of effective action completed in the past. Which means we've been we've received the blessings from God already. Amen. So it does not matter what we face moving forward. Mm-hmm. We don't lack what we need to be a blessing to God. Amen. So sometimes we have we go through different battles and challenges and uh, heartaches and pain in life. Anyone ever been there before? Yes. Yeah. And so sometimes when you go through those things. Sometimes you feel discouraged. Yeah. And I know for myself, sometimes I felt like I was inadequate, uh, depending on different things I went through. But Paul promises here that I'm not inadequate. I have everything that I need, every spiritual blessing that I need to be all that God is calling me to be and calling us to be. Amen? Amen. So it's not that God will give us, but that God has already given us. Don't forget that. Don't feel like you have to receive something more in the future. Remember and understand that you already have everything that you need. So again, eulogia is the noun. Blessing is not verbal wish expressed, but actual blessing conferred. When we read this, what we will notice is the peculiar way these three words for blessing are placed side by side here. Eulogetos, eulogesos, and eulogia, a repetition not uncommon in the Hebrew scriptures and found occasionally among the Greek classics. Christians have already received, again, all their spiritual blessings and thus do not need to pray or wait for any sort of second blessing, which is taught by some people. God has provided everything needed at salvation to bless Christians and allow them to bless him. Everything. So again, Ephesians 1.3 also talks about God's blessings on believers. It tells us that when, it tells us the when of when it happened, eternity passed. It tells us what blessed, what he blessed the believers with, which was every spiritual blessing. It tells us where he did it, in the heavenly realms. And it tells us how he did it, which was in Christ. 
It's so real. The eternal God whose character is praiseworthy, never changing, truly blessed. Then you have the verb who he has blessed us. In fact, it's an action done, complete, given it has happened. Then there's a noun, which is blessing, which, which was actually done. Not a wish, but real. So Christ Jesus came from heaven to earth from the Father to bring us every blessing that we need. Paul will go on to describe these blessings in detail in this section of scripture. Here he emphasizes the fact that every spiritual blessing has been given, followed by a list of specific areas that will further define what he has in mind. So Christians have these blessings because they are in Christ. The proposition in can also be with. And there is certainly a sense in which all Christians are with Christ. But living Christians are not actually with Christ until they die. Till then they are in Christ. Living believers do not sit with Christ in the heavenly places, but since Christ sits in the heavenly places, those who believe in him are in Christ. He is there now and is our representative in the heavenly places. His people on earth, whether they are prospering physically or not, are still in Christ. So our present circumstances is not, uh, is not an indicator of whether or not we're in Christ or not. We're in Christ whether things are going well or whether things are challenging for us. We are still in Christ. And we're enjoying the fellowship with him and resting in his finished work on the cross. We have to always remember as believers that we have to have sober optimism. Sober optimism is simply saying that I understand that my blessing is coming in the sense of eternity. So when I will be able to spend eternity with Christ, in the here and now, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be trials and tribulations and difficulties that we have to endure, that we have to go through. Sometimes the problem that I've seen with among some Christians is that we want all of the blessings right now. We want everything to be good right now. We don't want to suffer at all. But the reality is, we will suffer. We do have to suffer. There's three different reasons for why we suffer, right? You suffer for doing the wrong thing. You suffer for doing the right thing. And you suffer for no reason at all. Which means, you're going to always suffer. There's always a means of suffering. You're going to always suffer in some way. And so, it's, so when we understand that our hope is in Christ, and we find our peace in him, when we find our confidence in him, then our circumstances will not deter us from trusting him and believing him and living for him. Yeah. But if I'm expecting him to always bless me and make sure I'm prosperous, then that will affect my relationship with him. Because yeah. Yeah. now I say, well, Jesus, since I'm in you, that means I should be blessed, and that means that everything should always go my way. Right. Yeah. But when we think about Jesus' life, did everything go his way? Yeah. If he's an example to us, and we have to follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. That means that we should expect to suffer in some yeah. regard. Yeah. And even with that, none of us suffer to the degree that he suffered. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Our suffering doesn't compare to his. Lord have mercy. And so we have to understand that I'm in Christ, whether things are going well or whether things are not going so well. But I'm trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So he sits in the heavenlies, and God sees all who are in Christ granting them the treasures of heaven. Those treasures include forgiveness, holiness, love, joy, peace, 
etc. And Christians are able to enjoy these both in the here and now and in the heavenlies that we are eagerly anticipating. There are various ways blessings are used in the Bible. First, we bless God when we praise him for his goodness, for he has blessed us in Christ. Second, God blesses us when he grants us success in our efforts, allowing us to eat and drink and um, work and be happy and prosper. God still blesses us with those things as well. And then finally, we bless each other by prayer. When we pray for others, when we bless them. Now go enjoy our blessing from God, then go out and be a blessing from others. So as we understand that God blesses us, we in turn are to bless each other. Yeah. And prayer is a blessing. That's right. Because I can go to God on your behalf. Or you can go to God on my behalf. Thank you, Jesus. And when we pray according to his will, then that means he will respond. Amen. And that's what's so important for us as believers to understand the will of God. And the way that we understand the will of God is by knowing the word of God. Right. So once we understand the word of God, then we pray the word of God back to God. And we have confidence that he will respond, that he will answer favorably. But favorable, a favorable response does not mean it's what, exactly what I want. A favorable response is what God's will is. Amen. So when I understand the word of God and I pray the word of God back to God, I'm saying, God, let your will be done in my life. Because the only thing that God is subject to is his word. So when we pray his word, we understand his word, and we pray it back to him, we can have confidence because he's trustworthy. Because the Bible says that God is not a man that he shall lie, nor the son of man that he shall repent. So that means if he said it, that settles it. That's right. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away. But he says, my word will never pass away. So our confidence has to be in his word. So the more we understand the word of God, the more effective our prayers will be. And as we learn the word of God, we learn the character of God. And we learn how God, and we learn what God, what God promises to do. What he doesn't promise to do. Sometimes we treat God like a genie. Yeah. Or like Santa Claus. We come in with all our requests. And we expect him to give us everything that we ask for. And when he doesn't, we have the nerve to be mad at him. We get upset because we didn't get everything that we're asking for. But some things that we're asking for is not things that God promised. Right. But we only know that and understand that when we know the word of God. Paul continues his thought in verse 4 where he says even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love and love starts the next sentence so Paul continues his thought from verse 4 from verse 3 excuse me God chose every person who would believe in him before he created these words have tremendous implications regarding the wisdom and plan of God. His wisdom and power are so great that he knew the present even from the beginning. Likewise, he knew the end before the start. God exists outside of time, or said another way, God is not confined by time, which means he has no time restraints because he is the creator of time. So since he is the creator of time, he does not have any time restraints. He's not confined to it. He is the only being able to know all things because he created all things. 
Paul also notes a few important applications of God choosing us to be his children. Because of God's wisdom, power, and love, our proper response as his children is to live in obedience to him. The only response, the proper response for us as believers is to live in obedience to him. We are to be holy. A word means set apart. We are able to live in a way which is without blame, um, an important characteristic for all believers, especially church leaders. This setting apart is important because there is a difference between God calling the qualified and him qualifying the call. Paul also says we are to be blameless. What does it mean to live without blame? Blameless is not the same as sinless. Blameless simply means that we live above reproach. And the reason for this is so that we will not make ourselves a stumbling block to the gospel. So you don't ever want yourself to be the reason why someone doesn't want to accept the gospel. For for example, if I know a, a person who struggled with alcohol, and they were an alcoholic, and I feel like I have the freedom to drink alcohol, because I understand it's not about drinking, it's about not getting drunk. So I say, I understand this freedom, I have this liberty to where I can have a drink if I choose to, but yet I have a friend, I know someone who struggled with alcoholism. So if I drink alcohol around this person, I can cause them to stumble. And so what's most important for me as a believer, even though I may feel like I have liberty, I need to care more about my fellow brother or sister and not cause them to stumble but the freedom that I have. Amen. And so we don't want to make sure, we want to make sure that we are not uh, putting ourselves in a position where we are a stumbling block to the gospel and to what God is doing in someone's life. Yeah. And people, could, because we can cause people to reject God off of what they see us do. Yeah. Right. And we don't want to be that person. Right. Amen. Don't allow yourself, and I don't want to allow myself to be a stumbling block for someone else. Mm-hmm. Christians still battle with sin. Mm-hmm. Has anyone in here conquered sin? So Christians still battle with sin, which is why sinless and blameless are not synonymous. With each other. Someone who has never had a life changing experience probably was never saved. When you have a real encounter with Christ, Christ changes you. Amen. You don't become perfect. Again, you don't become sinless, but you should sin less often. <laughs> when you encounter Christ, it changes you. There's no way to encounter Christ and not be changed. Which is why, once we meet Christ and we encounter him, we can't continue to be the same. Because if we are, it's an indication that we haven't really encountered him. That maybe we encountered a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. Maybe we met someone else and we thought it was Jesus. That's happening a lot. People are thinking they are encountering Christ and they are not. Again, that goes back to my point about the Word, understanding and knowing the Word of God. Because Jesus is the Word. That's right. Yes, right. So since He is the Word, the written Word will always validate who He is. Right. Yeah. So if I meet Christ, 
That means his characteristics and how he is will be found in the scriptures. If I'm encountering this Christ that does not, that's not consistent with what I find in the scriptures, that means I found someone else. So it's important to understand the word of God. But Christians who um, sin do not temporarily backslide. They remain saved. Yes, they grieve the Holy Spirit, but they still remain sealed. So since we all sin, for the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us struggle with sin from time to time. So just because we struggle with sin or we may commit a sin does not mean that we backslid. But what it does mean is that we be quick to confess our sin. Right? Because the Bible says, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if God expected us to never sin, he wouldn't say, confess your sins and I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because understand that we still are in this flesh. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so since we're still in the flesh, we still are dealing with the effects of sin in the world. We're still dealing with the effects of the fall. However, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we are on a trajectory toward eternal life with Him. Yes. And so there's a work that's being done on the inside of all of us as believers that's making us more and more like Christ, which is why I said before, we don't become sinless, but we should sin less often. I should, in my walk with Christ, I should be growing more and more like him. I shouldn't be the same way I was last year, this year. And next year, I should be a little bit further ahead. Each day, I should say, well, you know what? I struggled with this yesterday. Today's going to be a little bit better. Today should be a little bit better. Not perfect, but each day should be a little bit better. If I'm walking with Christ and if I'm abiding in the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So on Judgment Day, we will be presented sinless and spotless before the throne of God by virtue of the finished work of Jesus the Christ. In the meantime, our focus should be on doing righteousness, living above reproach, and maintaining a clear conscience toward God and man. See, blasphemy is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. The only one that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy. Because when a person commits blasphemy, they deny the very means by which they can be forgiven. Because Jesus the Christ is the only means of salvation. And so when he talked about them committing blasphemy, they were denying the power of the Holy Spirit as it pertained to who he was. So if I reject who Christ is, and he's the only means of forgiveness, then how can I have forgiveness? I can't have forgiveness. So that's why blasphemy is denying who Christ is. It's essentially it's denying who Christ is. Because every other sin that a person commits, we can be forgiven of. Yeah. Because we can, because with everything else, we have a means of salvation. We have a means of forgiveness through Christ. But as soon as we reject him, our means of forgiveness goes out the window. That's why the only sin that's unforgivable is blasphemy, denying the power of who Christ Jesus is. God loves you so much that he takes you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He loves you so much to take you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Anyone have a real testimony in here? 
where God has really brought you from. Yeah. You used to be a certain way, but after Christ, He's changed you. Yeah. yeah. That's my testimony. And changing. He, he's changing. So the reference to love here, as we see um, the next the next couple words here in verse four. is typically considered to be part of a new sentence, not the end of the previous one. The concept is better connected with the thought, which continues in verse number five. This scripture is one of the reasons why we can't start with the question, why am I here, or what am I here for? We can't start with the question, what am I here for? We must start with the question, who am I here for? Because for us as Christians, purpose is a person. That person is Jesus. So we exist for him. So when we start with the question, what was I created for? What am I here for? And we start looking for things we need to do. That's the wrong question. The question is, who am I here for? Once I realized I was here, I was created for Christ and chosen in him by the Father, now the works that I do brings glory to him and the Father. So it's a different question. It's not what, but who. Yeah. It, it personalizes it. It gives me identity, not a task. See, a lot of times when we start with the task, we begin to identify with what we do. You ever met anyone that, that identifies with what they do? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I do this type of work, and every time you ask them about themselves, they start talking about work. They start talking about the things that they do. No, the question is not what do you do, but who are you? That's the question. Who are you? So as believers, we find our identity in Christ, not in what we do. So yes, the work that I do as a pastor, but who I am, I'm a child of God. My identity is in Christ. As a result of that identity in Christ, he's he's gifted me to do work for him to bring glory to him, which is my pastoral responsibilities. But that's not who I am. My identity is in Christ. And so is yours, regardless of what you do. And all of you in here are gifted and called by God, have been chosen. But you first have to identify as a son and a daughter. Find your identity in Christ. See, I have three, as you mentioned, I have three sons. And sometimes... My sons do things that get on my nerves. <laughs> Anyone that has children, you know what that's like. Sometimes they obey, sometimes they don't. But no matter what they do, they're still my sons. No matter what they do, I still love them. I'm not going to turn my back on them. I claim them as mine, regardless of what they do. And so that's the same thing for us. As we've been chosen by the Father in Christ, you may commit a sin and you know you shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't turn his back on you because of it. Thank you, Lord. He, he doesn't give up on you because of it. I don't care what it is that you may have done. If you are in Christ, you belong to him. And you've been sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. And because of that, you can have hope and security. You have a solid foundation because of him. 
And so you need to know that you've been loved, that you are loved. Not just you've been loved, but you are loved. That's why it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. There is nothing, there is no one that can separate you from God's love. Maybe you did a lot of stuff in your life in the past. And maybe other people don't want to let you get beyond it. Maybe they want to hold it over your head. I remember when you used to do this. And I remember when you used to do that. You haven't changed. I can't accept you as being different. And they still want to hold all that stuff over your head. And sometimes we take, we take that off. And we accept it. And then we live with guilt. And we live with shame. And we begin to punish ourselves. Because we are rejecting the forgiveness of God. Because we have people around us that continue to remind us of what we used to be. Mm-hmm. And not allowing us to realize, I am a new creation in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Mm-hmm. See, it's one thing to accept that here in your mind. It's another thing to allow that to come down and penetrate to your heart. Mm-hmm. To where you really believe it. I struggled with that myself. And I realized the biggest issue that I have with that, the reason why I struggle so much, is because I have people around me that want to remind me of my failures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they, they, they always want to remind you of what you used to do mm-hmm. and what you used to be. Mm-hmm. And we end up in this conflict with who I am in Christ versus who I used to be outside of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people around you, they knew you from the past. But they haven't turned to Christ for themselves. And they don't know Christ for themselves. So the lens that they look through is the lens from the past. So they can't see anything new. They can't see anything different. And sometimes it's because... They are bothered at the fact that you've grown beyond what you used to be. And they're frustrated with themselves that they haven't grown beyond where they were. And I don't say that to um, demean anyone. I'm saying that because I want you all to realize and understand that you have been chosen by the Father in Christ. And you are a new creation, regardless of what you used to do. Regardless of who you used to be. Maybe you did some things that everyone doesn't know about, right? We all have those things that no one knows about, but God knows. But even those things, even those things we've done in secret, does not cause God to turn his back on us. Thank you, Jesus. Even all of those things, the hurt and the pain that you caused other people, God's forgiving you if you're in Christ. Even those who may have hurt you and wounded you deeply. And you don't want to, you're having a hard time forgiving and letting that stuff go. God says, I love you. I want to heal you. Because this truth here changed the whole trajectory of my life. That nothing that anyone else has ever done to me 
can ever compare to what I've done to God. So if God can forgive me of all of my stuff, who am I to withhold forgiveness for someone that's going to me? If I'm in Christ. Now, if I'm outside of Christ, then I have a different standard. But if I'm in Christ, I have a responsibility to forgive. I have a responsibility to reconcile. Because I've been reconciled to the Father through the Son. And I've been given the ministry of reconciliation so that I am to preach the message of the gospel, but also to live that out and, and to display reconciliation amongst my brothers and sisters. Think on this. Just because here's the other thing. Oftentimes, going back to the point I was making about what we do as opposed to who we are. Just because we're good at something doesn't mean we're called to something. Just because I can do something mm -hmm. does not mean that's what God has called me to do. Mm -hmm. right. And that's where I miss my identity in Christ. It's because I identify so much with what I can do. And not identify with who I am in Him. See, people will often see what you're good at and assume that that's what you're called to. Now, in church planting, especially at the beginning when you start a church, there's only a few people that's doing everything. You all understand. There's a, there's a few people that does everything. You wear many hats. And sometimes what can happen is we can start to think that God has called us to things because we have so many responsibilities. And we've put so much into those things that we do where we think, like, this is what, I, this is what I'm called to do. It's like, no, you may not be called to that. You might just have the ability to do that because it needed to be done. But there's more to you than what you've done. See, we're at a place right now in our church where my emphasis is that I want us I want everyone to be able to um, operate in the gifts that God has called them to operate in. Because when we do that, the church is healthier. The church is healthier when everyone is using the gifts that God has given them. And ministering in the areas he's called them to, the church is healthier. Because we all have been gifted. And let me say that to you all here. You've been chosen by the Father. And you've been gifted. And you've been gifted to serve. And so there's some gifts that God has given you that he wants you to use to help build soldier. There's things that he's gifted you to do that he wants you to do. And if you know, if you know that there's things that you should be doing that you're not doing, I challenge you to trust God and do that. And let me also say this. If you're wearing many hats, I understand that. I totally understand that. 
And you may have to do that for a little while. But look for the moment where you can relinquish the things that you're doing so you can focus on the things you're supposed to do. Am I making sense? Because you've been chosen by the Father and the Son. You've been chosen by the Father and the Son. And you have every spiritual blessing that you could possibly need. Verse 5 says this. In love, he predestined us for, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Apostle Paul continues to discuss the theme of predestination, connecting it to the themes of love and adoption. Because of his love, God chose in advance for us to become his children. Jesus came at just the right time for Paul's readers to hear the gospel message and believe. When they did, they became members in God's family. Though they were not Jews, they were adopted as sons through Jesus. Paul speaks of salvation elsewhere as adoption. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, also Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Romans chapter 9, verse 4, and also Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, speaks of our adoption in Christ. Paul also teaches why God chose believers to be his children. He says, it was according to the purpose of his will. He didn't choose us because we were good. <laughs> he didn't choose us because we did the right thing. He didn't choose us on our own merit. He chose us according to his will yeah. and his pleasure. He wanted to choose us. He wanted us. That's a beautiful thing, to be wanted. So he chose us according to his purpose and his will. In an act of love and as part of his divine plan, God designed a way for all men, even those not part of the Jewish people, to come into the family of God. These Gentile believers would have especially appreciated this note from Paul, a devout Jew turned Gentile missionary. This Hebrew of Hebrews is what Paul was, and will be considered in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, considered his Gentile readers as equals and sisters as brothers and sisters in the family as believers in Christ we all are equal mm -hmm. there aren't any there's no hierarchy mm -hmm. doesn't matter our ethnic backgrounds our socioeconomic status our experience those things don't make us more valuable than the next person we all have been chosen by the Father and the Son. Those who have confessed Christ as Savior and Lord. So we can't look down on each other for any reason. We must realize who we are in Christ. And the same salvation that I needed, the same salvation you need. There wasn't one plan for me and another plan for you. Jesus is the only plan. Right. And going through the door of him is the only way into eternity. Then lastly, verse 6, Paul says, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
This act of choosing believers in advance to become part of God's family contributes to the praise of God's glorious grace. God does all things for his own glory. So he chose you and I for his own glory. He forgave you and I of our despicable sins for his own glory. He redeemed you and I for his own glory. Everything that God does is for his own glory. Because of who he is. And there's security there. There's much security in knowing that I've been chosen by God by his own will, by his own purpose. It's like he loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. That that's a beautiful truth. That God loves us as his children and there's nothing we can do about it. As he says, nothing can separate us. Now, in our relations with one another, there's things that people can do that can cause us to separate from them. There's things that people can do to us that cause us to remove them from our lives or remove ourselves from their lives. And sometimes that's warranted, depending on what the situation is. But the beautiful thing is with God, there's nothing that will separate us from his love. That, that should cause every believer a moment of pause. Consider that God, who created all things, specifically chose before the creation of the world that we would be created, that you would be created and live and become a child of God. And one day, stay with God for eternity. That's the truth for all of us, but make it personal. That he chose you before the foundation of the world. That you would live and that you would become a child of God. And that you would one day spend eternity with him. This grace is a powerful gift, a blessing given to us from God. Paul will develop grace much more in this letter, mentioning it specifically 12 times in 6 chapters. In addition, much of chapter 2 and a part of chapter 4 specifically focuses on grace. Paul begins with grace in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, as we looked at. Continues with grace and ends with grace in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 24. His life and letters were clearly influenced by the grace of God at work in him and his desire and calling to communicate to, communicate to others. So you and I, again, I'm going to hammer this home, were chosen by the Father through the Son, in the Son. And I want you to go away today being confident that you were chosen and not because of your own doing. You were chosen in Christ. Amen. And you were given every spiritual blessing that you need for your entire life. Not just for a season in your life, but for your entire life. You have everything you will ever need as long as God has ordained for you to be on this earth. You have everything that you need to do everything to bring glory and honor to him and to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And that's through Christ 
Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for keeping us, God. But I pray, Lord, that we all would ponder on the fact that we were chosen by you. Not by our own doing. And that we could be secure in knowing that what you said is always true. It's always been true. And it always will be true. As your word says, let God be true and every man alive. Help us, Lord, to just stand on the truth in your word of knowing who we are in you. Not focusing so much on what we do, but focusing on who we are in you because we were chosen by you in Christ Jesus, the Son. But we're so thankful. We're humbled that you chose us. We're humbled that you are using us. We're humbled that we're a part of your church. You've invited us to be a part of your church and to carry the mission of advancing your kingdom. We all have a part to play. Help us, Lord, to trust you and play it well. And to not allow guilt and shame of all the stuff that we may have gone through and done in the past, or whatever those things may be. Help us to find our rest. Help us to find our forgiveness and our peace and our joy in our future in you, Lord Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we honor you in the wonderful, the powerful, victorious name, the same name, of Jesus the Christ. We all say, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.